Hello, hi, everyone. Welcome to Here to Queer. I'm with Miles Markham today, a very longtime friend and huge advocate in queer, Christian, and Christian adjacent spaces over over the years. Uh, Miles, hi, hello. Want to tell us a little about yourself and like where you live, how you identify, something you're passionate about? Sure. Hi, Julie, and hello, everyone else. Like Julie said, I am Miles Markham. I use he, him, or they, them pronouns. I am a queer, trans, masculine, non-binary person. I am Japanese-American, Native Hawaiian, Swedish, and German. And so I connect very uh, meaningfully to the mixed race uh, experience. I, for better or for worse, do still describe myself as a Christian person. <laughs> and I'm currently living in Los Angeles, California, but spent most of my life uh, in the Southeast between Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, and Alabama. Um, but loving the West Coast life at this point. I work in documentary film, um, but also, uh, like you mentioned, Julie, in some of these more progressive Christian spaces, um, not just around LGBTQ inclusion, um, but also racial justice and all of the other um, intersecting um, identities that uh, come with that particular conversation. So I'm here. I'm passionate about a number of things, um, but I guess maybe at this current moment, I will lift up um, connecting uh, film and television uh, programs that have some kind of issue focus uh, with actual grassroots movements, making sure that the people on the ground impacted by the issues being presented in the media are actually benefiting from um, those media pieces. So, yeah, that that's me for today. Uh, thanks for asking. Wow, that's awesome. I the the last thing really just stood out to me because I feel like that's like that was the opposite of my life experience in evangelical spaces, where <laughs> <laughs> like. The people that like I was advocating for were often like not considered, and the people who like were in power and bringing me to speak wanted to ensure every step of the way that they were going to benefit from what I was sharing about LGBTQ people and LGBTQ topics. So I love that that's your main focus because I think like that isn't just like an evangelical thing. That's just like how money and power work. And we can see that uh, happen in all kinds of spaces, whether that's like publishing or documentary, you know, where some guy like some white guy swoops in and makes a film about immigration and completely benefits from it while <laughs> um, the people it's about continue to suffer. So, right, right. That's well, really cool. there's, there's a whole separate and long conversation there about 
uh, the history, I think, of documentary in particular and uh, how it emerged from journalism, how it emer that emerged from anthropology and some of the uh, swooping colonial overtones that, you know, come with that sort of thing. Um, studying, in quotes, uh, people um, versus, you know, seeking um, to uh, be in solidarity and advance their flourishing. So, yeah, another conversation for another day, um, but that is definitely a phenomena, I think, that is um, being actively resisted now in as far as documentary film is going really um, working to ensure um, again that the communities uh, that are being lifted up in these films and in these projects are actually benefiting um, from that visibility so mm, that's really happy to talk about it another time we're definitely going to need to do a whole episode on swooping <laughs> I feel like that's that's yes. in the cards <laughs> yes it, I love it um so I wanted to start this one talking some about various queer spiritualities because you've been, we've both been in those spaces for so long. And I think our, we're both probably continuing to evolve in ways that, um, that might always be some part of our story, but maybe not our whole story. As you mentioned, a bunch of different things you're passionate about, identities that, you're bringing to the work you're doing that are maybe like more centered now than they were when it was just like when we first met and it was like we were both exclusively obsessively narrowly focused on mm -hmm. our queer and christian identities and like the conflict there is how we would have described it at the time i think yeah um but since we you know both came from that i'm i'm curious like I, first, I would say, why do you think so many people do lose their faith after they start the process of coming out? And I want to, I want to name that and say, like, I think that is something that we see happen to a lot of queer Christians, and it's a big fear for those of us who start to realize that we're some version of queer when we are in conservative religious spaces. And then it's also a story told about us that's like. Uh, so many evangelicals, you know, and this is likely true in Catholic spaces and uh, people of other faiths. But the story that like leaders would tell about us is that, of course, our community loses their faith when we come out because we were like darkened to the truth because we gave into our flesh and like started like just slipped on down the slope to the inevitable loss of our faith. And I think we both know there's so much more going on there among queer people who do uh, sort of move away from certain expressions maybe of uh, religion and spirituality that they started out with. So I'm curious yeah. just to hear you comment on that. What do you think's going on? Why do so many people? Yeah, I've a few thoughts. Um, I guess maybe at the top of those is one of the problems I think in leaving any um, particular faith expression is that for many people, um, whatever that community was, whatever that faith expression was, uh, it, it's the water you swim in. And as a result, um, again, depending on the expression, you're often told this story. Uh, for example, if you grow up as an evangelical person, that um, the only true Christians are other evangelical Christians. 
And so consequently, um, much looks like a, quote, loss of faith um, anytime you alter your expression of faith. And so I think for many people, it really is less of a uh, departure altogether and more of um, a parallel move, you know, finding a way to be uh, a religious person, finding a way to express your faith and your spirituality that looks considerably different, considerably different enough uh, for many people to call it something else altogether um, rather than faith. But I'm just not exactly sure that that's what is happening for a lot of people. I think they are changing their expression. They are changing the stream um, that they're swimming in, but they're not losing it altogether. So that's the first comment I think I would make. This uh, First, I just want to say this rings true. Like I, yeah. growing up, my mom was like, uh, Catholics aren't saved. And I was like, oh, okay, well, Catholics aren't saved. Like it's, and um, I remember I was like with a friend from my basketball team and she was Catholic and I was, I was really, I was always a curious person. So I was just kind of asking her about her Catholicism and I was like, so what's the difference between you and like Christians like me? Um, and she was like, uh, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Yeah. And I was like, (laughs) but you, and this is just all I was taught. I was like, but you pray to Mary and Mm -hmm. Christians pray to Jesus and it was just this, this like totally limited, like, um, but you're right. Like if you're swimming in a world of fundamentalism that says like, we are the only ones with the truth and everybody with like even the slightest variation and how they express or understand it is lost, then yeah, it would be right. seen as. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We were talking about this because I was thinking recently after, uh, a, Switchfoot song uh, popping up on my (laughs) Apple Music shuffle. Uh, This concept of being, how this concept of being, quote, like on fire for God Mm. was presented to me within evangelicalism. And, uh, and if that, even if evangelicals don't call themselves evangelical, there are these colloquialisms uh, that are associated with being evangelical, including but not limited to uh, on fire or oh, yeah. uh, all in another phrase is like sold, sold out. out. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> um, and, and, and these were all expressions, uh, again, to distinguish, uh, a person usually of evangelical charismatic or Pentecostal faith, uh, from every other type of Christian, because every other type of Christian was a quote, um, nominal Christian or a cultural Christian Cultural uh, Christian. Yes. Um, and, and so that was like another way of separatism, I, I think hmm. we could call it that. Um, and so when you are no longer a part of that separatist, you know, sort of expression, um, I, I do think that there is some unraveling that begins. And any unraveling at all is um, reduced, you know, to that like slippery slope uh idea and you're if you're not all in if you are not sold out if you are not on fire then you are no longer um a a person of faith so that's yeah that is a a a way in which this plays out in a way in which people again 
lose their faith or move away from their faith, I think is really more of a metamorphosis of, of their faith. So, um, yeah, that's, that's part one. <laughs> part, part two um, is when people do, um, do lose their faith altogether, do lose um, the ability uh, to think about the world through a sort of uh, metaphysical, like spiritual orientation uh, altogether. And I do know many people, uh, many queer and trans people in particular, who that has happened to. And so I think what is happening there um, is actually, for, for many people, a very healthy uh, process because mm-hmm. I think when a person has endured any form of uh, violence, whether that, that be physical you know, brutality or emotional, um, but in this particular case, religious violence, the best thing that can happen for them is that they leave the context in which is harming them. Mm-hmm. And I think that a part of leaving that context is also shedding uh, the identifiers that, that came with um, locating yourself in that community in the first place. Mm-hmm. And for many people, that does relate to um, belief in God in general or, or theism um, to continue on that sort of uh, trajectory, it only prevents them um, from beginning to, uh, to heal and to recover uh, from what was a very often long and complex uh, form of trauma. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, um, I think the <laughs> most uh, beneficial thing a person can do in, in many situations after surviving, you know, or going through something like that uh, is to leave mm-hmm. and is to give themselves the, the space to grieve and to mourn and to rage and uh, to work out all the things that they need to work out, um, you know, intellectually, spiritually, um, whatever it, it may be. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess what this comes back to, though, is that is not often a person's lack of um, desire for a a spiritual sort of way of being in the world. Uh, And I would argue that many people who experience, you know, this uh, loss of faith or whatever, you know, ends up being called for them, um, they remain spiritual. They remain Mm -hmm. um, highly invested in um, exploring and understanding uh, themselves in the world and what it means to be a, a connected and a grounded and an embodied person. They remain interested in um, ritual. They mm-hmm. remain interested in community. They remain interested in all of, um, you know, the bigger picture hallmarks of what it means to be like a, a religious person and to participate in the world religiously. Uh, they're, they're just needing um to, to kind of drop uh, all of the trappings of that, you know, for a while, at least in their formal or their institutional sense. Yeah, and I think this gets at a really interesting distinction between 
say like our worldview, a worldview that you're expressing that I also share that I think Jesus seemed to have uh, very clearly and what we see um, from a lot of religious leaders, it's kind of like, is the center of like, what is most important is the most important thing in the world, human beings and love and us growing in love or is the most important thing in the world, some invisible realities that we are, that are our ultimate end that we're serving. And so if the most important thing is growing in love for other human beings, our actual neighbors in this physical world, then maybe certain expressions of religion or faith are going to help us in that process. And maybe they will actually be burdensome and hold us back in our process of growing into more loving people. And that's a different sort of, that's an entirely different worldview from no exist. You exist by God and for God. And our focus is on the afterlife. And if you think that what you're doing is loving, but you're not ultimately living into sort of this, like this, this, this end that is saving souls for heaven, then what you're doing is not loving. And so, um, I just want to name that and say both, uh, yeah, I think that the worldview you're describing can be, can fall like a lot of different religions could hold space for that. Mm -hmm. And a lot don't. And, that seems to be an expression of this evolution we're talking about. Right. Yeah. I, I think what this is also calling to mind for me is actually uh, a phenomena or again, another colloquialism that is often actually celebrated in some of these more conservative communities when somebody is sharing uh, their, their story of faith or, you know, we'll call it a testimony and they talk about this um, this story of growing up um, sort of uh, operating out of their parents' faith or their grandparents' faith or their community's faith. But at some point in their journey, uh, they, quote, made their faith their own. Oh, yeah. And, and there's something there about moving toward integrity and moving toward authenticity that uh, is, is praised, it is affirmed. We Christians, many conservative or evangelical Christians love to hear that line. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it is the, the description of becoming somebody who really took uh, ownership, I guess you know, we could say, of what it meant to call themselves a Christian person. They really uh, interrogated themselves, interrogated the world uh, and moved through this process of verifying, like, am I really a Christian person? Um, and I think it's so interesting that then when this similar phenomena sort of happens again, uh, this is a person who is taking ownership mm-hmm. of their beliefs and, you know, the practices that accompany them, it's all of a sudden frowned upon because it no longer looks like they want it to look. 
It yeah. no longer sounds like they want it to sound, but it is the very, I mean, I would argue, I guess, the very same process. It is, it's a movement toward integrity. It's a movement toward authenticity. And yet, um, what we learn from that is they only approve of integrity and authenticity if integrity and authenticity means you look, sound, and act just like they look, sound, and act. Yeah. Ooh, that is a word. That's a word. I, I'm i also curious to hear from you. So while a lot of people do transition out of their out of their that, a particular expression of faith, like you mentioned, and that's a good and awesome and healthy thing. Um, but they're growing toward healing and integrity, and uh, that is also what enables growing in love. So that's awesome. And also, we see a lot of people, as you mentioned, in the queer community, sort of evolving into different vibrant spiritualities. Mm-hmm. What are some of the forms that takes, and what are some of the ways in which, like, what are some of the ways you think the queer community uniquely? has sort of like refined expressions of spirituality that are, that you see showing up. Ooh. Oh, Julie. Mm, um, mm. What a, a big question. Um, <laughs> I, I, w- I think I will start uh, by sharing a, a recent anecdote. Uh, I was traveling with my partner and we observed somebody um, out in the wild who uh, was sort of presenting uh, a, a number of, uh, I guess you could say, uh, queer expressions. Uh, and so there was a, a sort of androgyny about them, and there was a, a way that aesthetically they were just ex- signaling, you know, that they were out here being themselves, uh, just between their hair and their makeup and their nails. And then I heard this person speaking. And they were speaking about uh, a romantic relationship that they were in. And uh, this person, you know, in our society would probably read uh, as a, a gay assigned male at birth person. Uh, and yet they were talking about their relationship with uh, a woman that they had fallen in love with. And so I began to describe this person not <laughs> as queer to my partner, but as, quote, spiritual. <laughs> and I decided that I like using that phrase uh, interchangeably with queer, mm-hmm. because uh, to me that signals something about uh, connectedness. It's, it signals something about uh, relationality. It signals something about uh, what it means to uh, be yourself and to relate to other people. And so this is the long version of saying that uh, I do think that for all of the ways that spirituality shows up in queer communities, it's, it's not something that happens as a reaction, but, you know, as something that has just been noted throughout recorded human history is that there is a deep connection between uh, people who sort of transcend, um, you know, binaries that are, have been presented around sexuality and gender and um, spirituality. And so queer people 
throughout all of time have been, uh, for example, healers uh, in all the different ways that that looks. They have been uh, seers. Mm -hmm. They have been truth tellers. Uh, And even divine figures themselves uh, are often presented uh, as, uh, at the very least, androgynous. You know, maybe it's acronistic to say queer, but for the sake of this conversation, I am going to continue to say that. And so, I don't know, I guess some of the ways we see that today um, as as a continuation of that legacy um, is uh, the way that queer and trans communities uh, will relate to uh, astrology, Mm -hmm. Um, the way that queer and trans communities will relate to um, <laughs> uh, personality theories, I think, is also another oh, form yeah. like, of, of spirituality. You know, so whether it is um, Myers Briggs or Strengths Finders or something that is more enneagram spiritual, yes, like the enneagram, uh, we are we are a people who who care about understanding ourselves and care about understanding others and are really invested in um, the work involved in relating well. And I would say that goes beyond relating well um, to people. And it it also uh, extends to relating well uh, to the world at large, uh, to the environment, to other, uh, you know, animal life, to organizations, to corporations and institutions. Um, They're... There is something I think um, I've heard before called like queer technologies uh, that we have been utilizing throughout time in order um, not just to survive, but to create a world um, where everybody, you know, is is, is safe to be and to live. Um, That's that's us. That's what we've been out here. I love us. I love us so much. (laughs) My heart feels so big and tender right now. Just thinking of, um, how all the queer people I know and how you're, you're so right. We are, we do tend to be really concerned with relating well. And I think that's why we see like billions of vegetarians in the queer community Mm -hmm. and, you know, and our, then why our politics do often, you know, express are often expressed through social justice and all kinds of justice and care for all kinds of marginalized people. It's yeah. not just for ourselves. Right. Right. And, there, there is yeah. a, uh, this overlay of like communal or collectivist thinking. And that is not to, um, say that queer and trans communities are, uh, above reproach, you know, or, or beyond the capacity, um, you know, to be self-focused and self-aggrandizing and all these different types of things. Um, but it is to say that uh, if you look at us, you know, more as, 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 a, as a movement or you look at us as a categorical sort of uh, group, however diverse that may be throughout time, uh, there is an orientation to... Um, to one another and, and to the whole that I think is marked. Um, mm. So, yes. Yeah. Two things came to mind that are in different directions, but both related to what you were saying. The first is your point about those who sort of like transcend the binary 
um, in terms of of gender being inherently spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how if we are going to think of God as gendered in any way, like trans and non-binary, it is like factually how God seems to be according to like all the like, you know, access we have to Mm. information about this invisible being who may or may not exist, but we kind of hope is there behind everything, holding it all together, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's interesting though, that, you know, coming from a whole universe of people for centuries who were really invested in the idea of like patriarchy and male power. They just really needed God to be a man, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, God, you know, in the Bible is referred to as like the many breasted one. Right. Mm-hmm. And as like a mother hen mm-hmm. and is, is such a nurturing feminine being. And Jesus had such feminine qualities as well. And like, clearly God, just the God of the Bible the God of, um, yeah, it transcends gender. So it makes sense that that uh, trans, non-binary, queer folks who are living outside of the binaries in a range of ways would also reflect God, that nature, that part of God, and show us all something different. Yeah. Now, and I, I mean... There is so much that could be said there. Um, you know, it, it's something that I've always uh, took heart in. And I think even just from a very practical standpoint, you know, if we're thinking um, that, you know, we were created uh, by, by God uh, and God was capable uh, of making, you know, I, I'm not somebody who doesn't believe that like polarities of gender don't exist. I do think they do exist. I do think there are uh, people who are uh, high identifying cisgender men and women, you know, very binary kind of ways of looking at that as well for trans people, very binary transgender men and women. Um, And and so those polarities do exist. They're just not all that is there. But for gender non-conforming people, non-binary people, and, and I would argue like even binary trans people, you move through this through the world having a, such a wide variety of gendered experiences and mm. being able to experience uh, the good and the bad that comes with that. I think uh, there's something to be said about... Uh, our, our, our God, you know, or about divinity being able uh, to represent, you know, all of those experiences. And so that can't be um, a singular sort of thing. Um, there is a view, I, I guess, speaking for myself, that I have as a person who uh, was, you know, assigned female when I was born and then socialized to be a girl all the while exhibiting all 
sorts of types of, you know, androgynous adventure and, and being treated, you know, as, as a, accordingly because of that and growing up and developing the tools and the skills to understand myself differently and to be able to take steps to affirm that. Um, and for me, that has included uh, pursuing hormone replacement therapy and changing my name and my pronouns and, and these sorts of things. And so now, uh, for the most part, I am read as a, a, a male person in most situations. Uh, and I have a direct, you know, comparison based on my lived experiences of what it's like to not be read this way. Um, and we can have a, a different conversation about that whole thing on another day, but, um, That's going to be fun. It has been exciting for me to think about God, like in this same Mm. way, uh, that Mm -hmm. of course um, God would need to kind of be beyond gender um, in order uh, to have sort of the creative capacity, I guess, to to make so many people. Like that's a very queer thing about God uh, in in that way. So um, that was beautiful. I, I do, I understand for a lot of people why it makes sense to just like gender God in a binary way, um, not just like for God to be a man, um, but also for people who need God to be a woman mm-hmm. um, specifically. Um, I don't experience that same emotional or psychological need or desire, but uh, it makes sense to me. Um mm-hmm because like it, it offers something relationally to people. Mm. Um, and yeah, um, yeah, I think that's, that's all yeah. I have to say about that. The other thing I was going to comment on, and by the way, there's like five more episodes I want to have just about what you just shared. So that's going to be exciting. <laughs> um, the other thing I was thinking as you were talking about the queer community being inherently concerned with relating well it brought to mind a new friend i was recently talking with who is a sex educator did not grow up religious at all and is not religious and yet is very very spiritual and very spiritually concerned both she like self-identifies that way and i like see that in her life and she was talking about how i was kind of asking like how did you end up a sex educator because like there's not really a path to that in Mm -hmm. the world (laughs) and it's not like a credentialed like process and so i was just interested but one of the ways that there were a bunch of like sort of self-taught ways that she ended up there but one was she's been volunteering for like many 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 years as a doula for women who ever like any stage of pregnancy and any part, any like path they choose within that. So they basically, this organization is like, we care about like every woman who gets pregnant deserves to have a like loving supportive presence beside her, whether she chooses to have an abortion, whether she has a miscarriage whether she um, has 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 a baby, or maybe she's going to choose to have a baby, and then later that choice changes. Like whatever it is, 
all of them deserve to have love and care and all of them deserve a supportive presence along the way. And so she's a doula for women who find themselves pregnant for, you know, wherever that leads. And I was thinking like, that's a chaplain. Like I cannot, I, I cannot understand anything different about what she's doing than what a chaplain does. There is no difference. And one is just there officially in the name of God with the endorsement of a particular Mm -hmm. religious association. And the other one is there out of just like love for their fellow human being, which is also the goal of all these different religions. So it's, it does seem there is something really beautiful about that. And it's not to say that people outside of the queer community don't also uh, enter into roles as sort of various expressions of being a chaplain or being concerned with relating well and showing love. But it does seem like there's a unique sensitivity that's really special and beautiful in the queer community. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, yeah, there's something that like comes to mind to me here about like the, the concept of service um, and not like servanthood but servant leadership um, i that's that's how i'm triggered uh, <laughs> <laughs> um no yes and no right like i think at its best that concept um can be helpful i think it but service in general is something uh that not everybody has this uh predisposition toward or high interest in, but I would be interested kind of in a study of uh, the relationship between like or LGBTQ-ness and LGBTQ people uh, and those of us who end up in um, helping professions or, um, of, of some variety. Mm-hmm. Whether, whether that be doulas you know or chaplains or clergy people or um therapists or body workers like there's so many forms of like uh helping professions uh but i do think there's a lot of us uh who for one reason or another do end up in that kind of space yes this is true miles uh you obviously know you're going to be back often I'm so excited for all the conversations we gonna, we're going to have. Um, before we go, I wanted to ask you to share a tiny delight hmm. slash a recommendation slash something that's just been like giving you life recently that you enthusiastically endorse. Wow. Um, <laughs> so many things. I have a person. <laughs> you are a person of tiny delights. I really, really am. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, something, gosh, uh, I didn't think about this in advance, so... I can share a tiny delight. Yeah, you go first. Because I'm also a person of many, many tiny delights. Yes, yes. Mine is, I bought a very old bike on Craigslist, and... I've been riding it everywhere, basically, like, as my form of transportation, as my, just, like, a way of experiencing joy, and I hadn't been, I hadn't ridden a bike, really, in, like, 
like a long time, maybe like eight years. And it's just been so fun to feel like that childlike sense of freedom and possibility and joy of like, I can go anywhere so fast on these wheels and have the wind in my face. And it's just been, and you also get there so much faster and it's been so much fun to, to feel that sense of possibility on two wheels that reminds me of like childlike joy. Yes. Uh, okay. I thought of mine. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) so, uh, I'll just make this short. Netflix has a series called the standups and it is, uh, standup comedians and they all are given a 30 minute set. Um, and there's one particular comedian who has a new, uh, 30-minute set on the stand-ups. Her name is Naomi Ekpergen, and I cried. Mm-hmm. I was laughing so hard <laughs> watching uh, her set. And so that that was not just a tiny delight. That was actually a giant <laughs> delight for me. Uh, definitely recommend it. Again, Netflix, the stand-ups, Naomi Ekpergen. So funny. Brilliant, and um, I encourage anyone to watch. I'm watching that. Before we talk next, I will have watched it. I'm so excited. Yes, uh, enjoy. That's that's what I have to say to you and anybody else uh, who's listening. Miles, it was so great chatting. I hope you have an amazing Wednesday over there on your coast. I'm going to have an awesome Wednesday on my coast. And thank you all for listening in. I hope that you have a delightful day wherever you are, or that if you don't, you at least find a tiny delight within it. Bye, all.